Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this week's episode of Damsels in the DMs... Most exciting moments in the industry have come from projects that I've gotten involved with from having a conversation with someone or meeting someone through someone else or crossing paths on a carpet or connecting on Instagram because you congratulated someone who you just saw perform and then they connected with you and reached out and was like, hey, by the way, I'm doing this project. I feel like that happens more often than not. And, you know, we don't tend to realize that the people we're interacting with are multifaceted as well, you know? Everyone is wearing multiple hats. So you never know who's a producer, director, or writer, in addition to an actor, singer, dancer. You know, and if you if you're surrounding yourself and putting yourself out there, I think that is the best way to get into projects because then you learn about people that are like, oh, I want to try this project, but I don't have a team. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. There's some damsels in the DM. Yes, queen. <laughs> Tell us what's the vibe. Uh-huh. What's the vibe? There's some damsels in the DM. Yeah. Please tell us what's the vibe. DMs, DMs, yeah, we see them, yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs, we don't need them, we just leave them. Please, yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello, everyone, (laughs) and welcome to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm Lauren. And I'm Alejandro. Lauren, how is progress with the feature? Oh my God, please. It's, you know, it's so interesting being on location for a feature because like, usually I feel like the projects I've done have been in LA or New York, you know, so you get to go home or they'd be like shorter time periods. So it was definitely an adjustment at first, like getting used to being away from home, away from your family, away from your friends at first, like not knowing a town very well. And then like, you know, that was really only the first couple days. And then my days got much longer and there were more like 12 hour days. And now it's been like super fun, super fulfilling. I mean, I just feel so grateful for the opportunity to be a lead in a feature. Like, you know, those opportunities don't come all the time. And to have that and like be able to say that, it's just been so wonderful. And the crew is like so, so kind. And I love my character. I'm having such a great time playing her. So honestly, just like feeling super grateful. And um, it's just so nice to be able to wake up every day and go act, you know. And I think like that's what really my takeaway has been, has been like when I show up to set every day, I just feel really grateful to be there for everyone else who's there and doing their job. And like, you know, I've heard people talk about like getting nervous before the camera starts rolling and everything, but I've just been starting to like channel gratitude as I keep saying, and um, just, you know, feeling just so happy to be acting all the time. And instead of like channeling the nerves, just feeling so lucky to be able to be in this position. Yesterday, we had our big debate scene and my character had a lot to say in the debate. So it was definitely the scene that I was most um, concerned about going into the project. The one that I worked on my worked with my acting coach the most on as well. But it went really well. It was a huge relief. And I can't believe it, but now we're at our last week. It went by so quickly. It's like insane to me. It really did fly by, like super, super quick. One thing that I'm curious about is um, the costumes. I remember you had expressed some 
not apprehension, but concern in um, trying to be as prepared as possible. So how is how is that working out? Okay, I was so wrong because the wardrobe department is like unbelievable. My outfits have been insane, like so beautiful, so like gorgeous awesome. and exciting. And like, I have to say, because I think I've been joking, but my character is very like Elle Woods vibes. Like we've been joking that it's the politically brunette of Legally Blonde. And she... What my favorite thing about her is that I think sometimes that like femininity is associated with weakness or like a lack of intelligence, you know, but my character is so hyper feminine and she's also brilliant and she's also fearless and she's also courageous and she's also a feminist and she's not afraid to argue or fight for what she wants and what she believes. And I love the meeting of those two worlds, you know, and I just love that, like, we're starting to see more roles for women that are really honing in on you can be however you want to be, you can embrace your femininity, and you can also still be a powerhouse. So like my character, spoiler alert, she's wearing like this beautiful pink suit doing her debate with, you know, as she's against like all white men, you know, and it was just a really powerful experience for me to, to get to get to walk in her shoes, even though they are like five inch platform heels with tiny <laughs> mini skirts in the freezing cold, but they're the best shoes ever. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm so happy for you. I'm so, and do you have any idea when it's going to be out for public to see or not quite yet? I think it should be around election day is when it's coming out. I've also, yeah, so we'll see. Um, but I'm sure I'll be talking about it and promoting it on here or on Instagram. So yeah, I'm excited to talk more about it. I love to see it. I love to hear about it. I'm so happy for you. That's so cool. Thank you. And what's been going on with you? What have you been working on? Oh, uh, well, this week was kind of busy. We had a stage reading for Arena, a house musical, which was written by Abel Alvarado. And uh, we did that at Casa 0101 in Boyle Heights. Cool. That was a project that I was invited to do in the springtime of this year when we did it at the LGBT Center at Redenburg Theater. And we got a new producer, so it was an opportunity for us to showcase this work to uh, someone who's going to be able to help us bring new life to the story in some capacity. It was kind of kept hush-hush, but it was... Uh, the undertones were very positive in terms of uh, seeing this come to life again in the future. So I'm super, super excited. And a friend of mine who actually lives in my building, she's been involved with this uh, showcase of content called Show and Tell. There's this group of filmmakers who have also been involved in like music festivals. They built this beautiful theater basically in the backyard of their house here in LA and they've been doing it for nine years. So they, the community that they've created is so supportive and really, it, it was so cool. I, I'm not sure if you saw the stories recently, but like no. I, I showcased like a little bit of the, uh, the story that I was involved in because every month on the last Friday, they have this showcase. So earlier this week, my friend had uh, invited me to, be an actor in her uh, first time writing something and like kind of bringing people together to tell the story. So I was like, hell yeah, I'm down. So we did that. And within the past week, she finished it, edited it, showcased it yesterday. And that was just a really cool time to, you know, just be around filmmakers and uh, share the love of storytelling, which is so interesting because getting into today's guest with Julian Armaya, I'm so excited that he's on, but I think it's interesting that, you know, after experiencing community yesterday at Show and Tell, 
and to hearing Julian's advice on, you know, being multifaceted in his career, but also finding community to really be able to make positive steps in our careers. It's such a crucial piece of the puzzle that we all need, not only as storytellers, but just as individuals, right? Well, first off, Alejandro, can we get a damsel stories takeover with some of these posts that you were showcasing on your own Instagram? Because they sound amazing. I'd love for our listeners to be able to see them. Uh, yes, I can definitely do that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> they sound so cool. I'm excited to see. So I know our listeners will be as well. But yes, absolutely. Julian, I mean, seriously persevered through so much and still puts the arts at um, the forefront of his priorities. And he just has such an incredibly inspiring story. And I think we talk a lot about persistence being the key to life and persistence being the key to succeeding in this industry, but to persist through something so life-threatening and still come out on top and still be prioritizing his career in the arts. I mean, talk about a beautiful story. Seriously. And surviving cancer twice. Unreal. Like, huh. Oh my goodness. Well, let's get into it. Shall we? Let's do it. Oh my God, Julian, thank you so much. At long last, we finally have you on the pod. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, thank you. It has been a minute since we've been trying to get this going, but I'm glad we were able to make it work. Me yes, too. oh my God. It's always exciting crossing paths with you and I'm just so excited to thank have you. you on. So just to kind of tune our listeners in, can you share with us a little bit you know, about you, where you're from, what you do, and uh, where you're currently at? I know you're out here on the West Coast, yes? <laughs> yeah, I currently live in Los Angeles, but I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I moved out here in 2006. My background was originally in dance. I danced for a long time back uh, on the East Coast, mostly modern contemporary um, work. I always loved theater and music, though. Like, I sang in my church choir growing up, and then took the dive and moved out here, not for entertainment, actually, just because I wanted something different than New York. And the arts always have a fine, have a way of finding their way back into artists' lives, I think. You know, even if you take a break, something creative yeah. always comes back to you. So I got sucked back in, in a good way. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned the choir, because you have been really active in different chorus groups across the country and internationally as well. So how did that transition from your childhood pursuits in the choir to then like in different chorus groups across the world? So it's interesting. I loved singing growing up. And then when my voice changed, I got super self-conscious and just stopped singing altogether. Okay. And it was something that I wanted to do. And when I was still back East, this had to have been 2000-ish, yeah, because it was before 9-11. I was like, screw it, you know, let's try it again. I found a vocal coach and I started working with them. And I was at the same time starting to have some random health issues come up that I couldn't pinpoint what was going on. So lo and behold, I ended up being diagnosed with cancer, my first cancer. And so I stopped singing completely during that time dealt with that, which was a long process, fortunately came through it. And music again, took a back burner. Then 9-11 happened. Then that kind of brought me back to dance once I was recovered. And I danced for a while in New York and then moved to Los Angeles. And then here, after a few years of being here, I was like, okay, let's try the singing thing again. And they started doing some musical theater 
loved it. And I was doing In the Heights at the Chance Theater in Anaheim. It was the first time it had been done in Orange County. And it was such a great cast and such a great experience. And I started getting sick during the show. Like there were things that just felt off. And I was like, hmm, this is not good. So I started going to the doctors and I was diagnosed with my second cancer at that time. And I was like, what is it about singing that always brings something about as a challenge? But it made me think about the book, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, which I don't know if you've read. And I'm paraphrasing here, but one of my favorite quotes in it is that the universe will always conspire to help your dreams come true. And at the same time, the universe will always challenge you to see how much you want something. So that's kind of how I look at it, that, you know, the universe is continuously challenging me to see what I want and if I'm really on the right path. Um, and after that second diagnosis, the coach that I was working on with at that time was like, to get back to your question, long-winded answer, when you get through this, you should go audition for the Gaiman's Chorus of Los Angeles. I'd heard of them. I'd never seen them perform. And I was like, okay, sure. The The big fear was that the second time it was thyroid cancer. Um, and I don't know if you can, I have like a huge scar all around my neck. It's not super visible, but you can kind of see this little divot here. Uh, but they took my entire thyroid out and over a hundred lymph nodes. And because it's so close to your vocal cords, the biggest fear was that I was going to lose my voice completely. Fortunately, I did not. So I went and auditioned for the Gay Men's Chorus a few months after recovery and got in, which was great. And through GMCLA gave me so many wonderful opportunities. I was able to sing with the New York City Gay Men's Chorus because they consider themselves sister choruses as well. They started around the same time. So we did a big celebration of the 40th anniversary of both choruses, which coincided with the 50th anniversary of Stonewall and performed at Carnegie Hall in New York. Our assistant director had moved to New York and become their artistic director. So it was all kind of like kismet. And then COVID happened. So they were doing the concerts virtually. So I was able to, while still living in Los Angeles, continue to sing with the New York City Gay Men's Chorus for an additional season and then sing with the LA chorus as well. I was also part of the Sela gospel group for a little bit here in, they're out in Pasadena. And through GMCLA, we partnered with Mano a Mano, which is, was, I don't know if, I hope they're still around, but it was Cuba's first gay men's music group. Damn. And they us. Yeah, so they were wonderful. So that's where that tie in. And then we did a joint concert with Coro Gay de Ciudad de Mexico. So that's why we went. Uh, so it was with GMCLA. It wasn't like I sung with them separately, but we went and sang with them in Mexico. And then they came and sang with us here. And then we got to sing back up for Gloria Trevi. Like it was amazing. This might be like a bit of a personal question, but as much as you feel talk, feel comfortable talking about, I'm so curious for you because you've mentioned how art has come in and out of your life, but always come back to you. When you were battling cancer, can you talk a little bit about like how you persevered mentally and how like even with the threat of potentially losing your voice, you stayed present and um, persistent in continuing to follow your career? Sure. So this may again be a long-winded answer, but... I, I want it to be, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
coming from a mostly Latinx, Latin, Latino, Latina, I don't know what we're calling it nowadays, background, the arts was not very, especially the performing arts, was not very well respected within the dynamic of the children in the family pursuing that field. It's interesting because they adore their music artists and their painters and their dancers. But at least in my family, it was like, well, but you can't do that. That's not a good career for you. You need something that's going to something solid or something that's going to make you money. So that's how my distance, my recurring distance and bouncing back into the arts started because I always felt like I could not truly pursue it because that's just the way I was raised. So when I got sick, Interestingly enough, it the whole me pursuing it and then getting sick those two times made me think, oh, my family's right. Like I was, I'm not supposed to be singing or performing, what have you, because the universe is clearly telling me to stop. But that's when I thought about that book and those quotes and, and how it's not necessarily telling me to stop. It's really just testing me to see how much I want something. And I mean, I, you're both performers as well. So I'm sure you've dealt with the insecurity and the self-doubt and the lack of belief and the myriad of rejections that come our way. So there's always that little voice, I think, inside your head that that's saying you shouldn't continue. Uh, as for inspiration during those times to get through, I turn to nature, actually. Like, I've always loved nature. I've always touched trees and loved trees and my one of my favorite memories and things that I did during my first uh, cancer when I was I was very stubborn and wanted to do go to all my treatments by myself um, as much as possible so when I would walk to chemo I would touch every tree that I passed by and it just made me feel connected to something bigger because you know, it, I think of the roots and I think of the leaves and I think of the leaves going up to the sunshine and to the sky and to the heavens, if you will, and the roots just planted and reaching towards the opposite end of the planet where there are different people in different cultures. So that's what I kind of, I tried to focus on during that time that I was connecting with people that I could not see that somehow that tree was connected to, if that makes any mm. sense. It's kind of weird. I don't know. So beautiful. I love that imagery. That is beautiful. And I also love the imagery of you being like aerial with the treatment and with the procedures that required, you know, a very tremendous risk of you losing your vocal cords. But then it was just like, you know, you conquered Ursula through through those times. And here <laughs> you are. The Little Mermaid is probably my favorite Disney movie. That's hilarious. I love it. Um... <laughs> The original Little Mermaid play my mom over the summer in a film. Oh my god! Yeah, that is awesome. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so what was your experience like um, with working at the LA Opera uh, with Maestro Domingo? Oh. Because I saw that in my research, and I was like, "Damn, I want to hear about that." <laughs> That was incredibly fun. So that show was Pearl Fishers, which I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's this love story um, that takes place in a fishing village. And the auditions were for dancers specifically. And I was like, this is great. I definitely want to try this again. And so I went and auditioned and there was a British 
uh, director, Penny Wilcock, and the choreographer was Andrew Dawson. And his vision was he was using aerialists and dancers to play with the imagery of water and waves and oceans. And, you know, in theater, you use fabric often mm -hmm. to create the imagery and the visuals for water on stage. So it was a fascinating process. I'm not an aerialist, but uh, three of the, the dancers were. And so the opening is incredibly beautiful where it's three female dancers that are diving into the ocean to grab pearls and they're on harnesses and it's like a scrim and there's like bubbles and water. It's, it's powerfully beautiful. And then we played the waves often and also got to be what's called a supernumerary in, in opera, which is like, I guess an extra background actor in, in film and, and theater. Uh, so we were townspeople and we like interacted with the chorus the entire time and rehearsed with them. And these are some amazing singers. And I don't speak Italian uh, or French or any other language other than Spanish and English, but I loved the music. And so I learned little bits of it and would sing along here and there. And the conductor was totally fine with it, which was great. And so Maestro Domingo, conducted the opera i think we ran i don't even remember for how long it wasn't a super long run but he did about half of the shows and so we got to meet him during this luncheon that was held for us and he was incredibly gracious and kind and you know you meet someone that's of that caliber you you can't help but be awestruck you know and like fangirl a little bit i tried to be as calm as possible but he was very gracious and then to see him conduct while you're performing is just one of those experiences that you're like, wow, I got to do this. Like that, that was great. And sure, he's not from Latino America, but to have someone who you share a language with and who's so well respected worldwide, but is also someone who's beloved by the Latin American community was it made me feel closer to my grandmother <laughs> uh, because she loved classical music and she liked to listen to Placido growing up when I was growing up. Uh, so that was my first introduction to him. And I lost my grandmother the year I moved to Los Angeles. So any connection that I can find to her, you know, is always special. That's beautiful. That's yeah. really beautiful. Okay. Um, I'm curious though, as with your diverse background as a singer, as an actor, as a dancer, um, as a producer, which one do you think has been the most, or has provided you the most teachable moments uh, yeah. during your journey? Ooh. Wow, that is a hard question. The most teachable moments. You know what? I would say that it's actually as a teaching artist not as a performer. I've been fortunate to have worked as a teaching artist since I was back in New York. So I guess technically dance because that's usually what, what I've taught. Uh, but working with young people has been fascinating, eye-opening, inspiring, humbling. Because you work with kids, I've had the privilege of working with kids that don't wanna be artists. They're just doing it because they probably have to in school and those that really do love it and wanna pursue it. And 
you just learn so much from interacting with kids, just the things that they say, the way they interact with each other, the way they carry themselves, the way they interact with you. And I find that art is incredibly therapeutic. So any teaching experience has actually been an undercover therapy session for those kids and myself. Like I've learned a lot about human interaction, about the weight of the trauma that we carry with us on a day-to-day -day basis and how it informs our performing, our speaking, our engaging with people. You know, there's, there's so much more to the facade of who we are as people. And I think that that comes out, I'm sure it comes out in multiple ways, but when you're working in a teaching environment, it, it surfaces clearly and sometimes unbeknownst to the child or the, the instructor takes the front and center in the classroom. And it's something that you have to address, I think, uh, in the moment and use it as an impetus to kind of work along with what you're trying to teach them. I hope that makes sense. No, yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious a little bit about your producing because we saw that you co-produced The Locksmith. So we'd love to hear a little bit about that project and then also how you got into producing after all of your other artistic endeavors. So that was happenstance, <clears throat> that production. But I had produced before. I, When I moved to Los Angeles, I continued to work as a teaching artist and eventually got into after school education. And the company that I was working with at that time was a subcontractor for Beyond the Bell, which does all the outdoor programming. So before school, after school weekends for LAUSD, which is, you know, our second largest district in the country. So at the time that I was working for them, they had developed a leadership campaign for young people. And I would produce and direct for them with their team, the largest youth talent based show in the country. So we would have three stages at Paramount Studios um, with 3000 kids that would come and perform in six or seven different art categories, um, visual and performing arts. So I had not considered myself a producer, but I had been doing it for those the six years that I, I ran that program. And then a few years ago, I was lucky enough to start working with um, an entertainment lawyer in LA and a producer, same person, excuse me. And so I was assisting him. I was doing, I had been looking for remote work, you know, as a performer, you're like, okay, I need flexibility because I may need to run to an audition or I may need to take a week or two off for a project. So I had been helping him out and learning as I went along. And at, at one point he'd asked me, he was like, would you be interested in producing at some point? And I was like, yeah. So he was like, okay. He's like, you're doing great at what you're doing. Learn as much as you can pick up, ask me questions. And so I had already actually, no, I had just helped with the, one of his films, helping to deliver his film to the production company. So for those that don't know what delivering a film is, is it's all the components that you have to put together before you actually hand the film over to a movie house or a distributor, uh, if you will. And that entails every last little detail from an actor's contracts to, you know, the producer's contracts as well. Um, what am I 
there's so much that goes into it that people don't realize there are rights and permissions and um, the actual cutting of the film. So we had done that for a film and then the locksmith came up and I was just doing my regular assisting, helping out. And at one point the producers were like, you're doing so much of what an associate producer would do. We want to give you an associate producer credit. And I was like, well, that's great. Um, and as we progressed, um, I was taking on a little bit more and more and more, and eventually it became a co-producer, but I didn't go into that project with the intention of, of being part of the produ producing team. It just kind of worked out that way that they offered me that opportunity and saw that I, I was already doing some of that work anyway. So it was, it was really eye-opening and educational. I, I like learning the back end of our business because I think it makes us better informed artists and when it comes time to advocating for yourself, you know? We are huge proponents of advocating for ourselves because ain't nobody <laughs> gonna advocate for us like we need to. We for are, yeah, exactly. And you mentioned, you know, there's so much that goes into producing, but if you could list like five key points on what it takes to produce a film, what would those five points be? Okay. Mm -hmm. So start as early as possible. Like the prep work that goes into it, contracts <laughs> take so long because there's so much negotiation. So if you have your dream cast, great, but make sure you have a B cast and a C cast to fill in the holes because things come up all the time where someone ends up having a conflict or you have to modify or change the dates and then they no longer work for the person that you cast. And in addition to that, just again, getting the fine details of a contract down can take months right. um, and you can't deliver the film and there are hard deadlines for those for delivery until all those things are, are done and there i know of projects where you're still after it's it's you know in the can the contracts have still not fully been fine you know signed mm -hmm. they've been paid but there are little things that the lawyers were like oh we need to hold off on this so start as early as possible. Surround yourself with a good team, with the right people. And, you know, I don't think there's a right team, like a general, oh, these are the people you always want to work with. Sure, there are those people that exist, but I'm saying the right person for your team at the time, be it, you know, schedule, money, um, experience, connections, what have you, make sure you have those ducks lined up. Be flexible because things will constantly change. And Lauren, I mean, we were just talking about this. Lauren's on a project right now that dates have to shift, uh, especially in the date, you know, the age of COVID, things constantly get pushed. Let's see what else. You know what? I think I actually took notes on this somewhere. Mm -hmm. I find it. <laughs> I forget. <laughs> so, oh, so in terms of always, of also being flexible, having a backup plan in particular, with finances. Don't wait for something to fall through when you have, you know, people that are funding your project. Have an idea of who you might reach out to if something, if you fall short or if somebody backs out for whatever reason, because that can derail your project completely and shelf something. And like I've heard of projects that have filmed three quarters of the way or even finished filming and then can't finish the film because they don't have the funding for post. And then the last thing I would say is to always remember that everyone that works on the project is important. 
So do your best to remember people's names. And if you can't do that, at the very least, do your best to always thank somebody. Doesn't matter who they are. Don't just focus on the director, producers, and actors. They're incredibly special, incredibly important, important. But so is the cleaning crew. So is so are the grips. So are the camera people. So is every person that works on that project, whether you see them on a day-to-day basis um, on set or not. Let's not forget about post product. You know the editors, the loopers, like all those people are so important. And and finding a way to thank them, even if you can't in person, if it's just a little note saying I'm really glad you were part of this project and I'm grateful for it. I think is it. It's something that I like to see in producers and that I would like to I emulate w- when I'm producing something. Yeah, I think that's so true because I'm also an actor producer and on the current set that I'm on, I'm just an actor. And I've been really keyed in on how as an actor, the very bare minimum we can do is know our lines, you know, because yeah. the crew is working so unbelievably hard. And I yeah. feel like the the very bare minimum that we can do is just show up and do what's asked of us, you know? And on the current project that I'm on, it's very um, information driven. And also we're asked to be word perfect, you know? So I've been doing like my absolute best to make the crew's job easier because I think that sometimes actors forget like when we're taking classes and when we're not on set that like, there's other people who are also being taxed by each take that you're getting, you know? Right. And I think that um, that's been something that's, really keyed in on me now that I'm here just as an actor and not as a producer that I really will bring into my producing going forward. And I'm curious for you, have you had similar experiences of that, that when you've come on as a producer that you were more tapped in on as a performer and how you've adjusted your, your process as a producer from being tapped into your experiences as a performer? That's a great question. I've only co-produced this one film. I just acted in my first film um, last year that came out earlier this year. So I have not per se, but I think that my focus and appreciation on the people that are behind the camera stems from my upbringing. My grandmother was a nurse's assistant back in Ecuador, but when she moved to the US, she was a cleaning lady. My mom worked in a nursing facility in environmental services, so cleaning as well and with laundry and stuff. So I've been surrounded by support staff and have always, and feel fortunate that I understand how important that job is. So anybody that's backstage always feels important to me because I see my relatives in those people. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, I started out in dance and in college, I went to Skidmore in upstate New York, the dancers, we had to learn every facet of putting on a show. So, which was great. You know, we had to work backstage. We had to do the lighting booth. We had to do sound. We had to do programs. So I think that gives you a different appreciation as well. Uh, So that is I think where my mindset comes in of don't forget that these people are there. And then as a performer, then you're like, we want to complain when we have to do multiple takes. I think it's just natural because you get tired and you're like, damn, I thought I did really well in that one. Mm -hmm. So reminding yourself that it's not a one man show or a one woman show 
this is a team effort. So that's great that you did wonderful. Do it again because someone was slightly off and you have to be mindful that everyone needs to be on point for it to come out and and and, and be great. I, there was a commercial that I did where I was just struck. It was the middle of the summer and it was so hot and we were in um, a hangar and the camera guy, like I was just so sorry for him. I felt so bad for him because he had, you know, the, the cameras that you carry that are on your shoulders. Oh, yeah. And this was a one minute spot that we were working on, but like we did it so many times and this man was drenched in sweat. And I was like, I'm not complaining about it. I cannot complain. Like I'm looking at this person, like killing themselves to do this and do it well over and over. And he's not complaining. All right, let's go. I don't care that I'm hot and sweaty. We'll just keep it. Well, the universe was truly conspiring for his success in those moments. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> but um, going back to producing, and I understand you said you that was like your one experience. But are there any resources that you would recommend for anyone who is considering producing? Community. Yeah. Look, I'll speak for myself. I, I think this is common to a lot of people, but producing scares me. Writing scares me. The things that I want to do scare me. And I think that's a good thing. I tend to feel like things are more difficult than they necessarily need to be. It's not like there's a playbook out there. It's it's interesting to me because there are certain things that I think are easy to share with each other, but for whatever reason, we don't. Either people because people don't ask and the people who have the answers don't think about sharing them necessarily or some people feel like they need to be gatekeepers. I don't know. But my most exciting moments in the industry have come from projects that I've gotten involved with from having a conversation with someone or meeting someone through someone else or crossing paths on a carpet or connecting on Instagram because you congratulated someone who you just saw perform and then they connected with you and reached out and was like, Hey, by the way, I'm doing this project. I feel like that happens more often than not. And, you know, we don't tend to realize that the people we're interacting with are multifaceted as well. You know, everyone is wearing multiple hats. So you never know who's a producer, director, or writer, in addition to an actor, singer, dancer. You know, and if you if you're surrounding yourself and putting yourself out there, I think that is the best way to get into projects because then you learn about people that are like, oh, I want to try this project, but I don't have a team. Guess what? Maybe I can help you because I have a little bit of experience in it. Uh, I think that is the way to get into it. So just start having conversations with people and asking and and reaching out. Uh, I love when people randomly send me a DM or uh, an inst a, a message somewhere else just to be like i have a question about this like i'm open to it we yeah. love a good dm moment i mean <laughs> that kind of segues perfectly into one of our regular questions that we love to ask our guests as far as you know what has been either the funniest wildest most intriguing or even most inspiring dm that you've received or scandalous too we love a good Ooh. scandal moment that arrives oh, in okay. so, <laughs> yeah well now that you say scandalous yeah it's from like all the random new followers and dms that you get for people that are into um cryptocurrency and i'm like okay enough 
I have recently, this year alone, I would say maybe five or six times, gotten a few sugar daddy um, DMs. And I'm like, we're artists. Uh, We know the struggle. Like, I can't say that in the back of my mind. I'm like, you just want to, like, chat? And you're going to send me money? Like, okay. But, like, in the back of my head, I'm like, (laughs) hmm. And then there are those, I don't know if you've got, I'm sure you've gotten these. The people who are like, oh, I just won a certain amount of money and I want to spread it around. And the first 50 people that follow me, I'm going to send you $500. I'm like, first of all, I would never send you any personal details. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know, in Disney, sometimes you run into like somebody like a prince and then you're good to go for life. Oh, hell no. Another Disney (laughs) reference. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So Yeah, those are hilarious to me. And I always I'm like. I'm married. So I show them to my husband and I'm like, babe, look, look what I got. And he's like, Hey, that could be good money. I, yeah. This also happened to me. My, I had a sugar daddy offer recently and he kept like following up by email with these like very extensive emails. And I guess he found my IMDB or something. And so he's like pulling out all these details from my IMDB and he was offering some crazy amount of money. And I show it to my boyfriend and he was just like, Hmm, well, maybe figure out what his best offer is. I don't know. It could be a good financial plan. I mean, <laughs> hey, whatever works, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious for you, Julian, because you're wearing so many different hats. For you, do you have like a morning routine or any healthy habits that you feel like you need to do to be the best version of yourself? Okay. Um, in theory, yes. I don't always adhere to them. So sleep is so important. And so friggin' hard, uh, especially after, because as performers, you know, like we go late nights. There are times where you don't get home till like extremely late and then you have to be up early, but you can't, you know, I can't go to sleep right away when I get home. I have to wind down. Like I am buzzing from whatever I just came from. Um, And so I do my best to try and stick to a sleep schedule. It does not always work, but whenever I can, I try to get at least eight hours. Uh, I'm also big on, I mean, I do love my coffee for sure, but also green tea. Like I love green tea, anything with antioxidants. I try, I add turmeric, turmeric. I don't even know how it's pronounced. I add it to as much stuff as I, as I can, including my drinks, my shakes, my stuff, um, because anything that's going to help with, you know, if I'm not getting enough sleep, then your body tends to go into like defense mode and inflammation comes up. So those, those are the things that I kind of hone in on. And I don't drinking water. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate to have a young pup who unfortunately is injured now, but our youngest is two. And so going on long walks with her is also great because I'm like, hey, if I can exercise you and exercise at the same time, when you can't fit it into your schedule, then that's something. I think that's about it i don't smoke no judgment to anybody who does but you know just for health reasons and obviously with a history of cancer but i do enjoy a drink every now and again so finding time for yourself i think is important whatever works for you whatever self-care means for you not just what we're told then i think those are the things that you should focus on and try and do on a weekly basis if not daily i love it I love it. We definitely, we deserve that. I mean, especially with all of us wearing multiple hats, it's like we got to slow down and be able to restore ourselves and like touch Can a tree every so often. To, now to that keep... you just said slow down. Can I share something? Yeah. Yes. 
So Instagram, uh, I was scrolling through Instagram and I don't know if somebody shared this or if I just stumbled upon it. I think a friend, of, no, actually one of my best friends from New York sent it to me. There was apparently a study uh, where some scientists injected redwoods with a chemical that's very similar to adrenaline to see how they would react to it, you know, because uh, we're so fast paced, we're always running on adrenaline and we know that redwoods live for hundreds of years. They died. They died. Whoa. Like these, these trees that live hundreds of years from being injected with all the, with this adrenaline. And I don't know the specifics. I don't know the time period that it happened in, how long they were injected for and how quickly they died. But the purpose of the video was to point out that we tend to focus on being a go, 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 go. And happen to be, I think it's proven in data the, one of the countries that has the highest um, mortality rates or, or instances of certain illnesses, that maybe we should take that as a lesson and allow ourselves a time to decompress and hibernate, you know, whenever we need it, not look at it as being lazy, which that's always been a sore subject for me because I enjoy my downtime. Uh, but in the back of my head, I always hear you're being lazy, you're being lazy, but no, you're actually just taking care of yourself. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I love that answer too. Cause I do think I'm somebody who really thrives off of being busy. And one of the things that was a big adjustment for me is being filming on location right now. I'm when I first got here, my days weren't quite 12 hours yet. And, you mm -hmm. know, I had blocked off this time in my schedule to just be present with my feature film. But when I would get home from set, because I didn't know anyone in the area yet, it was like, I would feel lonely. I'd feel like, what am I doing? Like, I don't have an activity because I wasn't like constantly doing so many things. And then I realized like, wow, what a mindset to be living in all the time where it's like your body doesn't even know what to do with itself if you're not constantly doing a million things. So right. I feel like being here has been a great experience for me in reshaping what laziness means, you know, and embracing those moments where you don't have to do something at that minute and you can just take a second to enjoy life. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So Julian, our DM of the week asks, Oh, yes. You learned about yourself as your career evolves. What have I learned about myself as uh, mm, that I actually believe in myself. And that's been a really, really hard lesson. Not everybody needs to believe in me. Not everybody needs to see my talent, but I need to recognize, or I'm fortunate that I, I now am recognizing that I, every job that is presented to me, whether I get it or not, if I'm going out for it, I'm going out for it because I know I can do it, because I see myself doing it, because, and that I think is an important lesson, because often we are waiting for someone else to validate us. And, you know, people tend to think of, you appreciating yourself as being cocky, but it's not, it's just knowing your worth. Uh, so valuing myself and believing in me, I think are the things that stand out that I've learned the most or embraced more. Cause I used to be just so fearful of everything. I hated auditioning. I would like, I was lucky enough that I would get invited into projects because somebody had seen me in something else, you know, um, in particular in dance. And because, male dancers, they're, they're 
less of us than there are female dancers. So they're always in higher demand, which is crappy. So I was afforded a lot of opportunities that I didn't actually have to audition for. So when I moved to LA and then started getting back into the arts and had to start auditioning, like I was freaked out, but that was because I didn't believe in myself. So just the act of trying and being rejected has been a great lesson in that's okay. You're still worthwhile and you still could have done that job. You were just not right for their vision. Uh, I love that. I love that. And I just, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Cause I think a lot of times it does become challenging when you operate in one way and then you are like thrust into a new arena or you're kind of apprehensive about something based on the outcome because of unfamiliarity or whatever. But yeah, and no, I appreciate you saying that. That was beautiful. And of course it makes sense that you're going to be invited to projects. I mean, you are sparkling yeah. presence. So damn, like <laughs> people need to have you on their work. Hello. <laughs> yes. But I mean, don't want to take up too much more of your time, but before we let you go, please share with our listeners how we can stay updated on your work, where we can follow you on the IG or wherever else um, we can, we can see your work. I was so against Instagram originally, but honestly, that is the easiest way to keep in touch with me and um, up to date with stuff. It's at Julian Armaya. And a big thank you to my dear friend, Ruben Carvajal, who I did um, In the Heights with and who is now on Broadway doing Hamilton. Uh, he's the one that made me start my Instagram. He was like, you need it. You need it. We all have it and it's for the industry. So just do it. Um, so yeah, that, that's the easiest way. I mean, I am on IMDb as well and Twitter. I'm sorry. I'm not calling it X. Yeah, Twitter, but mostly Instagram is how I stay in touch with people. And I, I welcome connecting with other fellow creatives. So. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. And Lauren, best of luck with the rest of the shoot. And Alejandro, I can't wait to see what's next for you because you're always, you know, looking fabulous on a carpet somewhere. So, hey, we sparkle together. We all sparkle and shine together. So, exactly. <laughs> thank you both so much. Thank, thank you, you, Julian. We appreciate your time. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. It has been such an exciting year. My goodness, thank you so much. Happy holidays to everyone. But do keep us tuned in to any sort of guests you want to be seen on the podcast. We Our DMs are open, or you can send us a voicemail, write us a letter, send us an email. Check out our link tree as well, because there are a ton of resources and books and uh, organizations that you can support and learn about because not only have they been highlighted on our podcast, but we are always aiming to, you know, continue supporting our community and just, they deserve support as much as you do too. Absolutely. And please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you may listen to your podcast. We are dying for your feedback. Always, always, always. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, it's been another episode of Damsels in the DMs. Until next time. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Bye. DMs, DMs, yeah, we see them. Yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs, we don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.